Hi folks, what you're hearing, as you probably already guessed, is the song 32 Flavors by Ani DeFranco, played backwards. Why are you hearing the song 32 Flavors by Ani DeFranco, played backwards? Well, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I'm kind of uncovering a far-reaching international conspiracy. Here's what's up. Words chosen deliberately. So I've been talking a lot about the anthem of my generation, which is, of course, the song What's Up by Four Non Blanche, the song that was played at every presidential inauguration after it was written in 1993, sometimes more than once. The song What's Up by Four Non Blondes, when played backwards, contains a very clear hidden message. Let me play that hidden message for you now. There it is. Where's Ani? She's definitely saying, where's Ani? One more time. So what does this mean? Well, in the tradition of great podcasters like Woodward and Bernstein, I did a little digging, and it is clear to me now, as it is clear to many people on the internet at this point, that, as we all know, Paul McCartney died in 1968 and was replaced by an imposter, except that the original Paul didn't actually die. He was simply laying low for a quarter of the century only to reemerge in the early 90s, murder Ani DeFranco, and replace her. Hence, the person we know as Ani DeFranco is, in fact, the original Paul McCartney. Now, I know you're thinking, sounds plausible, where's your proof? Here's my proof. Listen to the part of 32 Flavors by Ani DeFranco that I'm going to play for you now. When played backwards, there is a very clear message encoded in this song. I think you will hear it if you listen closely. Here we go. Hey everyone, it's me, Paul. I'm Ollie DeFranco now, don't you know? Did you hear it? It's subtle. It's subtle, but it's in there. And it's not the only subliminal message in the song. Here we are, a little bit later in the song. Once again, listen closely. Hey, it's Paul again. I used to be in the Beatles. Now I'm a folk songstress with dreadlocks. Life's funny, don't you know? I'm honestly surprised nobody has noticed this until now. I mean, also, couldn't you hear that when you're playing the song forwards? I don't. It really only comes clear when you play it backwards. And believe it or not, it doesn't end there. Later on in the song, one more message. Listen closely. Hey, are, are, are you getting coffee? Yeah, I'll have one. I'll have a frappuccino, please. One frappuccino for Paul, for 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 Ani, because I'm Ani. I'm Ani DeFranco now. Always have been. I'm Ani DeFranco. I'm Paul. I'm Ani DeFranco now. Coffee, please. Yes, frappuccino. That might not be a subliminal message so much as a subliminal, like they were making subliminal messages and then left the mic on and recorded that one also. But Paul McCartney, the original Paul McCartney, everybody knows, did love Frappuccinos. So what more proof do you need? How high does this go? I will dig into it on future podcasts. Hello. Welcome to the I Might Be Wrong podcast, the intros for which are getting, I would say, 6% stupider every week. I am somehow getting 6% dumber. You wouldn't think you could get 6% dumber every single week, but you actually, if you think about it mathematically, can you would just you would always approach absolute stupid, but never quite reach it if you're just reducing by six percent. And I think that's exactly the trajectory I'm on. 
Anyway, thank you for listening. This is, of course, the audio version of crap, and it is crap. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, it's no, it's not. It's good. I I work very hard at this. Uh, stuff, crap, call it what you will, that can be found on my Substack, which is at imightbewrong.substack.com. I regret calling it crap. I really put a lot of hours into this. I should not have called it crap. Thank you very much for listening. If you do like what you're hearing, please uh, leave a review. Those are always helpful because the podcast world kind of partly depends on reviews, even though we all know that online reviews are sort of nonsense. Nonetheless, it is the nonsense on which this business model rotates, partly. Or, of course, please go subscribe to my Substack. You can pay me if you want, which would be very nice, though it is presently completely free for a little bit longer. Today's episode is called Accept Cookies Pop-Ups are not the worst part of Europe's data privacy law. We all know they accept cookies pop-ups. They are part of being on the internet now. They are annoying as hell. But a report came out recently that shows that those stupid pop-ups are not even the worst thing that's going on here. There's actually a lot going on here. It's kind of complicated. It's a complicated issue. But I kind of wanted to sort through it because we're learning more now about tech regulation and how it works, what's good, what's bad. And I think this report is a moment when we should all stop and go, huh, we maybe made a misstep here. So the episode's called Accept Cookies Pop-Ups Are Not the Worst Part of Europe's Data Privacy Law, subheading Deciding on the Worst Part is Actually Tough. So I'm sure we can all agree that Accept Cookies Pop-Ups are irritating as hell. They are now part of the annoyance swatting video game that we all play when we are online. How quickly can you find the accept cookies and leave me the fuck alone button is the new part of this game. What about that little gray X on pop-up ads? How quickly can you find that? What about the skip ad button on a video? Can you hit that the second it allows you to hit it? This is a skill I have been honing for decades. I actually started this game when I learned to quickly get rid of the yes, I am 18 button back when I was 15. And these accept cookies pop-ups are largely the result, caveat, they are not explicitly required by the law, but they are largely the result of a law from the European Union called the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. It is called the GDPR because I guess Europe hasn't adopted the American custom of giving every law a cutesy acronym that spells something. If it was an American law, it would be called like safe or private or something like that. I did once, I'm in D.C., I saw a woman on the metro, I was near Capitol Hill, making one of these. She was like working on one of these. I kind of thought like if she doesn't come up with anything, are they not going to have the law? Anyway, it's Europe. It's called the GDPR. It's a data privacy law. Now, the World Wide Web, as I like to call it, is, you know, it's worldwide. So even though it's an EU law, the law affects all of us. And that does, we should pause and acknowledge, eh, that kind of sucks. Nobody likes being subject to laws passed by a bunch of bureaucrats in Belgium whom we did not elect. I mean, think about it. Even the Swiss, the Swiss resist control by quote-unquote far-off Belgian bureaucrats, even though Switzerland and Belgium are really only differentiated by the percentage of milk in their chocolate. And yet they consider them far off. How would you feel if you were in Zimbabwe or the Congo, where they really don't like Belgian control for completely understandable reasons? Anyway, the GDPR went into effect 
back in 2018. And enough time has passed now for us to begin to assess the law's impact. And I've got to say, the early returns are not great. A study released last week, and I linked to the study in the written version of this episode, which is important because this is really all about this study and what it found. So it's a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research, and it found that the law has had big negative impacts on consumers. This study got a bit of attention on Twitter, mostly for its top-line findings, and I got to be honest, I feel that the underlying data that the study compiles are actually more damning than the eye-popping top-line findings, which does really make me take notice. I am starting to think that except cookies pop-ups are annoying, but they are starting to look like the tip of the iceberg in terms of the GDPR's negative effects. So let's get into this. Data privacy is a real issue. Let me say that one more time. Data privacy is a real issue. We all use the internet, and we are all duplicitous monsters surrounded by a web of lies and deceit. All of us would be canceled, and possibly even flogged in the town square while sneering children pelt us with rotten fruit if our emails were made public. Our browsing histories are chronicles of shame, capital C, capital S, and our medical records are mostly just lists of things we have gotten stuck up our asses. In this interconnected world, we all have an interest in controlling who knows the precise depth and dimension of our depravity. That is true. One last time, data privacy is a real issue. That being said, I do also think that data privacy is an overblown issue. And I will back this up with some data in a bit. After all, there is personal data, i.e. what you got stuck up your ass, and then there's personal data, i.e. you clicked on a Swiffer ad. Who gives a shit? Now, you probably would not want your credit card number to be public, but you might not care if a company knows that you liked some random YouTube video. The data privacy debate does include a hell of a lot of fear-mongering. That fear-mongering usually takes the form of <laughs> some hack local news narrative, this is going to sound familiar when I say it, that goes something like, companies are collecting your data and selling it on the internet. Which does always make me think, where the fuck do you want them to sell at a farmer's market? But that's the narrative. Companies are selling your data on the internet. They run that story about two or three times a week on the local news. Anyway, the reality is, a lot of what we do online is boring. And let's get a grip here, please. For the most part, nobody gives a shit about our stupid little lives. None of us should imagine that we are Jason Bourne living some off-the-grid existence while powerful forces try to track our every move. I honestly do think that the main bit of personal data that most people care about is porn. It sounds like I'm making a joke. I'm kind of not making a joke. People care about porn. People hear companies have your data, and they do think, oh my fucking God, if my browser history gets out, I am going to have to go live at the South Pole to escape the shame. That is issue number one by some distance for most people, in my opinion, and when we're talking about data privacy, people are thinking that, even though they're not really saying it. And that is a concern, of course. But I want to return to the point 
that a lot of data collection is honestly pretty innocuous. The end game of data collection typically is not a Black Mirror-style dystopian techno state. It is usually to sell you a humidifier. Companies want to know roughly who you are and roughly what you like so that they can advertise something that you will want to buy. Have you ever seen an ad that's poorly targeted? Like, for example, maybe you were watching American Horror Story and an ad came up for the Fisher-Price Laugh and Learn piggy bank. If that happened, that was a poorly targeted ad. That was a waste of the advertiser's money. That is the situation that targeted ads try to avoid. User data, a lot of the data they're collecting, that is collected to help them show the right ad to the right person. And P.S. It turns out that all of us are a lot easier to pigeonhole than any of us could have imagined. <laughs> That's why they want to know what you clicked on on Facebook. That's why they want to know your zip code. The GDPR affects all sorts of data. All sorts of data. Very, very wide scope on this law. It is not just bank records and porn accounts. It covers just about everything from relatively innocuous data to the type of data that would get you banished to the South Pole if it got out. The law's scope is big, 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 big. It is a big, sassy, makes-no-apologies law that did not come here to make friends. It has a billion components, some of which I should say I do like. I do like the parts about disclosing data breaches quickly, for example. Those provisions make sense to me. But because the law lumps together extremely private data with eh, much less private data, it touches practically everything and has effects that we are just starting to understand. And the law is so huge that GDPR compliance has become a cottage industry. In the course of researching this episode, just about every single podcast, article, YouTube clip, whatever I came across was some version of <laughs> how to set up your online tulip bulb business so that the EU doesn't sue you for $22 billion. A lot of instructional stuff out there. A business owner, it should be noted, does not just sit down read the GDPR, it's 261 pages. Who has that kind of time on their hands? They don't just read the GDPR and decide what to do. They are often going to need a GDPR compliance division, complete with the employees that the law requires them to have. It is a major expansion of what I've called before the risk minimization industrial complex, this army of lawyers, consultants, and HR managers, which you are very familiar with if you've ever worked in a corporate environment. An expansion of that thing that honestly everyone hates, but that continues to grow at an auto the fish type rate, which is a reference to the book A Fish Out of Water, which I loved when I was a kid. Now, the expansion of this risk minimization industrial complex benefits big companies because a gigantic multinational corporation can absorb the cost of complying with the GDPR. One estimate put that compliance cost at an average, an average of 1.3 million. A big company can absorb that cost without much trouble, but a new company or a smaller company, eh, they might struggle. Take this operation, for example. I might be wrong, has what I would call a lean and adaptable structural model, by which I mean it's just me and my cat. If you told me 
that I have to hire a data protection officer? Well, my first move would be to see if my cat could do it. If she could, I guess my second move would be to see if she will do it because she's a cat. And just because she can do something doesn't mean that she fucking will. She kind of does whatever she wants at all times. The point is, if my cat doesn't come through, then I might just have to shut down this whole operation. The compliance cost might just be too expensive for me. And when the GDPR went into effect in 2018, its effects were really anybody's guess. How big were these compliance costs going to be? Nobody quite knew. But now we do have some data. And the impact does look like a doozy. And that brings us to this report. This report from the National Bureau of Economic Research found that the law caused more than a third, a third of apps to disappear from the Google Play Store when it went into effect. Much worse than that, in my opinion, after the law went into effect, the rate of entry for new apps fell by 47%. The paper estimates that the lost benefit to consumers is about $57.4 billion a year, which is a 32% reduction of that market of apps in the Google Play Store. That, in my opinion, is big. That is a big number. That is a bad number. And I even think that things look even worse than that when you drill deeper into what's going on. So the researchers use several different techniques to paint a picture of the landscape. They use surveys of app developers. They use detailed analyses of the types of apps that are entering and leaving the market. And they knit this all together to try to figure out what is going on. And personally, I do think that the situation that the paper describes is really crystal clear. GDPR has substantially raised the cost and uncertainty of the app market. A survey of German app developers, there's a fun group, German app developers <laughs> found that 85% reported quote-unquote administrative burdens, 48% noted quote-unquote additional costs, quotes because I th- these are the phrases they used. I, I can't just paraphrase here. administrative burdens, 48% additional cost, and 38% indicated, quote, a lack of knowledge about the regulation's details, unquote, which in German, I believe, is all one word. My conclusion is the app development market, in Europe at the very least, seems to now be about as inviting as a kiddie pool full of scabs. And the problem here isn't just that operating costs are higher, the problem is also that there are fewer ways to make money. GDPR was a big hit to the online advertising industry because it does restrict how data can be shared and sold. And this might make you think, okay, who gives a flying fuck? Online advertisers (laughs) are the worst people in the world. They make street pimps look like paragons of business ethics. And look, I hear you, okay? I hear you, I hear you. I completely understand that feeling. Sympathy for online advertisers is not likely to lead to a charity benefit concert anytime soon. We are in agreement there. But advertising does make most of the internet go. That is the model on which most of this stuff is built. We have all become used to getting stuff for free in exchange for looking at ads and 
sharing some basic data, which is a point I'd like to emphasize. It's not just about the ads. It's about the targeted ads, which are a lot more valuable than the regular ads. That is the model on which a lot of this stuff is built. And a lot of it kind of works. Personally, I find it amazing that I can get, well, let's see, what do I get for free? Driving directions, data storage, video conferencing, internet search, instant correspondence, and really a million other things. I get those for exactly zero American dollars in exchange for looking at a targeted ad for a humidifier. And it's true. Sometimes I don't want to be tracked online. I will use things. I will use a VPN. I will use incognito mode, which deletes cookies locally, not everywhere, but locally. I'll use those things when I am searching for hardcore porn. But look, the other 30% of the time, I really don't care very much about being tracked. GDPR has majorly damaged companies that depend on advertising. This seems to be especially true for new companies, because obviously, few people are going to pay for something they've never heard of. Hey, have you ever wondered why I might be wrong is totally free? It's because few people are going to pay for something they've never heard of. I have to build an audience before I can really start charging for this. That's the dilemma a lot of companies face. And the irony is, gigantic companies like Facebook and Google, they probably fare the best under this system. And not just because their competition is being snuffed out. It is also because they are big enough to do advertising in-house. Corporate giants do not need to share data with third parties who will line up advertisers because they can go straight to the advertisers just by themselves. That is possible because they are gigantic. But a smaller company, a company like Milk the Cow, which is a real app that I found that simulates milking a cow and does literally nothing else, they're going to have a tougher time. And the report makes it completely clear that GDPR imposes big costs on producers and consumers. This affects people in a real way. It is costing us money. But there is another side of the argument which goes, hey, maybe all of this is worth it. Because look, the report does only look at one side of the cost-benefit ledger, which one of the report's authors acknowledged, by the way, it is really worth wondering, hey, are the costs worth it? Maybe they are. Maybe less innovation is worth the improved privacy. Maybe most people are happy to make the trade-off that GDPR basically imposes on the entire world. But here's the bit that didn't get any attention on Twitter, and that is, The report also has some information about consumer behavior, and to me, when I read that information, it looks like people don't really care all that much at all about their privacy. And that's kind of embedded deep in the data the researchers pulled together. So in the course of parsing this data to describe the tech landscape, what the researchers did was to compare the popularity of apps that ask users to share personal data with apps that don't. Now, if users were highly concerned with privacy, then we'd probably expect the apps that ask for permission to use data to be less popular than other apps. As it turns out, the opposite is true. Even more telling than that, though, is that when the researchers tried to include the amount people value their privacy in their estimate of consumer welfare, this is what they found. Now, I'm going to read from the report. 
And I'm going to do it as Paul McCartney, because why the hell not? Except that it's it's not really Paul McCartney, is it? It's just sort of a generalized Beatle voice. It's sort of all four of them melded together. Anyway, the report said, when we put privacy characteristics into the demand model, the coefficient is persistently positive, suggesting that consumers value forgoing their privacy. Even when we include app-fixed effects, the coefficient is positive but insignificant, because Emphasis mine. We cannot find, emphasis Paul's, emphasis Annie's. we cannot find direct evidence from consumer behavior that consumers attach value to their privacy. End quote. Thank you, Ani. The important thing there is the part that says, we cannot find direct evidence from consumer behavior that consumers attach value to their privacy. They went looking for it and they could not find it. Now, I'm not saying that's case closed. I'm not saying we know for sure consumers don't give a shit. There's an argument to be made. Well, maybe they don't kind of get it and they would care more if they got it. Nonetheless, they went looking for evidence that people care a lot about their privacy and they did not find it. And in fact, if anything, the data suggests that people want to give away their privacy. Now, I I don't think that's actually true. I don't think <laughs> the public has a mass humiliation fetish that would cause them to want their information to be exposed so they could be scolded as bad, bad by all of the world. I don't think that's true. But I do think they care so little about the privacy of their ordinary everyday data that whatever concern they do have is not large enough to be detectable in the data. Another thing to consider here, the way we all deal with accept cookies pop-ups, that also suggests that perhaps we are not the privacy fetishists that we have been assumed to be. Nobody reads the options on cookie pop-ups. We all just accept cookies and then we move on with our lives. Despite the fact that a lot of pants-wetting media outlets will bleat about companies collecting and selling your private data when people are actually faced with a choice, most people seem to be more than willing to trade basic data, not super private data, but basic data about themselves in exchange for free internet stuff. So let's take a step back. Where are we here? Here's where we are. The EU passed a far-reaching law based on the assumption that people's top priority when they use the internet is total anonymity. But the evidence for that assumption is thin. Most people do seem to be willing to make the trade-off that the EU assumed we all find so repugnant. GDPR places numerous barriers in the way of making that trade-off, and that has imposed costs on consumers, and it has snuffed out startups to the benefit of the corporate giants. The tech giants have entrenched themselves, which will likely impose more costs on consumers down the road. Basically, from where I'm sitting, this is going very badly. This is going very badly. In my opinion, the law's big mistake was to treat all private data as if it is essentially the same. It is emphatically not all the same. Some things are more private than others. High stakes data, like financial information and subscriptions to raunchymetermaids.com, there's a plug, that information should absolutely be closely guarded, but there also needs to be a large category of low-sensitivity data that is understood 
to be simply part of going on the internet. You sacrifice some privacy when you walk out your front door, so it should be when you go online. People who don't accept that trade-off, they can do things to make themselves more anonymous. They can use a VPN when an app says, can we track your location? They can say no. That is a far better solution to this problem, I think, than forcing the entire world to play by rules that nobody seems to like. New technology requires new rules. Making good new rules is hard, and we should not beat ourselves up too much for not getting it right on the first try. But we should get angry if we don't learn from our mistakes. Data from the first four years of GDPR, it looks real bad. And we should reconsider our approach. If the question I'm getting is, do you accept that GDPR is a well-written law whose net impact is positive, if that's the question that's popping up at this point, I am definitely clicking no. And that's the episode. There's an interesting discussion on this one in the comments section of the written article. People have very different views on how much privacy is necessary. I read a lot of the comments. Again, a lot of them very well informed. I want to say two things. First, data privacy is an issue, but the big thing to me is the distinction between the highly private data and the less private data. So often, people would say, this is a bigger issue than you're realizing, and then they would go to one of those categories that I put in the high-sensitivity data category. They would talk about a porn site, or they would talk about bank information or something. And to be clear, I am saying, yeah, we need to really protect that stuff. It is the more general stuff, crap you clicked on on Facebook, your zip code, which who really cares if they have your zip code? This is not your home address. This is your zip code. That, I think, is the big distinction. We need to clear out a bigger space for general stuff that goes in the category of who gives a fat fuck. The second thing I want to say is I, of course, received a lot of private messages, as I always do. People want to debate stuff. If I don't get back to your private message, I apologize. I always, you know, I, I want to, but I get a lot of these things. I received a lot of very specific messages from people saying, yeah, I work in this industry, and holy cats, this is a lot of... <laughs> it's, a, it's a big burden. A lot of people saying, and P.S., a lot of it doesn't really make any sense. A lot of people saying, yeah, it doesn't, like, it doesn't really affect your privacy in any way. It's just sort of a hoop we have to jump through. And then I also got private messages, and I have to say, a lot of really creative, abstract thinking about stuff that could go wrong. And I feel like when people are reaching, like, yeah, if you were in this place and you had a job where you could be compromised and they could pinpoint your location data, which, by the way, they usually can't. They know what block you're on. They don't know whether you're in the strip club or in the Chipotle next door. But people kind of imagining things that could go wrong, and I sort of feel like if you're imagining that hard to come up with a scenario in which something goes wrong, then maybe it's not the world's biggest problem and maybe enhancing the monopoly power of giant companies and crushing small startups is actually a bigger problem. Anyway, that's my take for the back and forth. I encourage you to read it. Maybe you have a different take. People are going to have different opinions on what the right balance is, but of course the one thing we all know is that Paul McCartney is Ani DeFranco now. That's it for this week. I will be back next week with another episode, unless I am brought down by people who don't want me to know that Ani DeFranco is Paul McCartney. I don't know how high this thing goes. I have certainly ruffled a lot of feathers with my investigative journalism. Nonetheless, the current plan is to be back next week with another episode. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and bye for now. Bye for now.